You are listening to After Sunday, a Vintage Church NOLA podcast hosted by lead pastor Dustin Turner. After Sunday is focused on helping you live the gospel, serve the city, and be the church Monday through Saturday. Here is this week's episode. Welcome to After Sunday. My name is Dustin Turner, and I serve as the lead pastor of Vintage Church. In the life of the church, Sundays are important, but not everything happens on Sunday. Life happens Monday through Saturday. And so my hope is that this podcast inspires and equips you to live the gospel, serve the city, and be the church after Sunday. After taking a couple of months off, I'm excited to be back with two of my friends. Some of you might know them. They're vintage partners and leaders in the life of Vintage Church. I'm joined today by Josh Hagens, who's a part of our equipping team and who I've dubbed our resident theologian, and uh, Joe Duke, who uh, recently began serving as our V-Men coordinator. Both of these individuals are uh, some of the best theologians that I know, uh, who are currently and always learning and growing. Uh, Both of them uh, have uh, studied at the seminary. Joe's working on his master's degree there. Um, Josh is working on his PhD. And uh, both of them are very interested in the topic of the Trinity. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Recently in the life of Vintage, we've kicked off a new series called Saints, and we are looking through the book of Ephesians. And in that first sermon, one of the things that I brought out and talked a lot about is the Trinity. And I know for many of us, the Trinity is a, uh, a difficult subject, a tricky topic, because we don't know how quite to explain it. And so uh, we either oversimplify it or we just don't talk about it at all. And so I wanted to bring these two guys on, ask them some questions about the Trinity, take a little deeper dive than we probably normally take, but also provide us some information Uh, that's helpful and useful and will help us understand uh, the Trinity and get our bearings a little bit more. So, uh, Joe, Josh, welcome to the, uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Appreciate it, Dustin. Awesome. Well, we're going to jump in with some, uh, some questions. Uh, I'm going to try to make these as simple as possible. So we'll see. If you had to succinctly define or describe the Trinity, how would you? I think if I was to define uh, the Trinity as simply as possible, as distinctly as possible, I would say that um, there is one God. Uh, the The biblical God is a uh, He is one God who exists in three persons: Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And um, the doctrine arises from a reading of Scripture and attempts to express who God is based upon what he has done for us in salvation. And okay. so the, uh, the Father sends the Son, the Son sends us the Spirit. And uh, it's sort of a summary, a summation of the gospel. Okay. What yeah, about you, Jeff? Yeah, and I think when we usually kind of talk about descriptions or definitions, uh, we want to take something that we may not know as much about and attach it to something that we know a little bit more about. And typically, that's a, a great thing to do. Sometimes, though, that can be a danger when we talk about the Trinity because there's just nothing like it. There's nothing like it because there's nothing like God. God yeah. is, you know, He is in and of Himself. 
different and separate than anything else that we can tangibly understand or conceive of. And so it can be difficult to describe or to define because we don't actually have, we definitely don't have a one-to-one -one correlation, but we don't, we don't have anything that's even close. Mm -hmm. And so uh, something that, that Josh and I talk, were, uh, talk about often and talking about in prepar uh, preparation for today too is not just to talk about it scripturally and in, in, in scriptural language and use that language, uh, but to always, when you get into Trinitarian uh, theology and those type of things, is to speak about it in the way the church has always spoken about it. Okay. And so there's a reason that the church has done good work and has formed what we believe about the Trinity. And the Trinity is something that, for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, has always been and will always be a non-negotiable doctrine. It's something that we have to confess. And so some of the early church creeds and some of the early church confessions that teach us this is the way that we actually speak about this one thing to make sure that we stay in the boundaries. Sometimes it can be, all right, well, let's not go there because it can sound a little too academic or consent. Well, sometimes it's worth it. Sometimes it's worth it to go there and to, to get our, our, our footing there, get our feet wet a little bit more there because there's a reason those, those that terminology or, or the way that something is spoken is laid out in that way. And we have all of church history to confess there with us. And so, um, yeah, I mean, to really to describe it, all those really kind of come back and say exactly what Josh said, is we believe in one God in three persons. There's a lot of ways to talk about that, but that's the crux of what it comes down to. So leave our analogies at home. That's, that's what I would say. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, and to be real, though, there are some very good analogies um, the ones that we often hear are not always the best ones. The egg. Um, the, the egg or water. water or how I am a father, but I'm also a husband, but I'm also a son. Uh, I'm, but I'm just one person who's playing. That, those are different roles yeah. and functions that I have, and that's not that's where the, the analogy breaks down quite horribly. And um, so I think that the important part is uh, because... God is unique because he is unlike. It's not just he is, uh, he, he's just incomparable. You can't compare it to anything else. And so that's what makes analogies incredibly difficult is analogies always, uh, they trade off of some similarity. And um, that can make it dangerous when we're trying to discuss the Trinity. And um, so I, I think the important part is analogies are useful, but as they serve scripture. And that, I think, is something that me and Joseph talked to, have talked a lot, is the Trinity is about Scripture, is a summation of Scripture. And so a lot of times what church teach, what teachers and pastors and, and so many people do is they try to lead with analogies and then jump to Scripture. And I think it should be the other way around. It should be Scripture first. Let's talk about the doctrine and talk about what God says, and then maybe let analogies serve uh, the, the understanding. Okay. And, you know, we may get into this a little bit later. You know, there may not be as big of a need for analogy as what one may think. But and here's the thing, too, is that analogies, the motivation for analogies is a good thing because it's seeking to understand. It's just seeking to give a tool to, to help in to help in knowledge, to help in understanding. But especially when it comes to the Trinity, they tend to punch above their weight. Mm. They sometimes can do uh, more harm than good. Um but again, the, yeah. the, the motivation is a good motivation. Right. So then the, 
how do we take that good motivation and point it toward a more helpful thing? Well, what Josh and I believe, and I know what you believe too, Dustin, is that we want to point it back to Scripture. What what is Scripture? What does the language of Scripture teach us about who God is, especially as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? And how can we start to bring that language into our everyday life, bring that language into our everyday life instead of take our everyday life language and apply it to God? What what do we want to, to form? Do we want to form God into our language or do we want to form our, our language around who God is? Yeah. And so in that too, uh, one of the biggest things, and especially descriptions and definitions, I also understand that we can't put a hefty and a perfect definition on the Trinity that when you begin Trinitarian dogmatics, when you begin consider who God is, one of the biggest elements that's going to help and will help for this podcast as well is understanding there's a big element of humility that just automatically has to be there. Is uh, Everything we're going to talk about today, I, I'm definitely not an expert. Josh is not an expert. You know, I am not an expert. Yeah, we're, we're, not, <laughs> we're not exhausting the doctrine of the Trinity today. We're, we're just giving a, a, a taste, if anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so... A level of humility definitely has to kind of accompany when you begin to talk about the doctrine of the Trinity because God is just so other than we can act, you know, yeah. ever comprehend. And so not only does that help when you're starting to set up, you don't feel as bad, you don't feel as guilty. I mean, well, I, don't, I don't know these things or I feel like I don't understand. I think that's actually a good motivation to push to know more, to push to know God sure. more, deeper instead of, I don't know, uh, I should know. Well, if you don't know, it's just a motivation of, let's... Let's dig into the scripture yeah. and let's see what the word says. Yeah, and as you're talking about it, I thought about, um, you know, it's kind of like you don't know you don't know the Trinity, so you want to learn more. So you you know you 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 liken it to like playing a sport, and you're like, okay, let me learn how to play baseball, right? So you begin to learn like the terminology, and because you want to know kind of like the the grammar and the rules of the mm-hmm. game. Mm-hmm. Here's the danger I thought about of analogies is like when you try to take like football terms and football uh, rules and apply them to the game of baseball. Exactly. Like it's like, you know, you hit a home run in baseball and someone in the stands says touchdown. Well, yes, sure, they both mean you've scored, but they mean very different things. Mm-hmm. And so uh, there's nothing – I think part of that is like, okay, be careful with what we say – but also, as we read Scripture more, we learn the rules of the game. Mm-hmm. And then we can use some of the language that we're going to be talking about because that's language that you use in the game, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. And that goes back to what Joseph was saying, how the church has been so helpful in this, is we're learning the rules of the game, the scriptural grammar, mm-hmm. you know, how to, how to use Scripture, how to speak about God, um, but there's also a tradition that's arisen as we talk about this. We, we learn to, to play this way or say these things. It, it makes it, that's what makes the Trinity so difficult sometimes, is that there have been these, um, these grammatical rules, uh, and, and we're about to get into this in a little mm-hmm. bit. Some of the rules are that they're not actually as 
clearly defined in scripture at times. And we're like, well, where do we get that? Where do we get that idea? And uh, the church, if we understand why the church said it the way that it did, we understand how very helpful it is because a lot of men and women have been thinking about this for 2,000 years. Yeah. And so it's helpful to look at how they say it and then thus it's easier to communicate with others about it when we understand the, the rules. Yeah. So. I, th- one, I think one of the most encouraging things about the Trinity is that this is one of the most, this is one of the first things mm. that the early church had to get right. So, you know, there's a lot of the, we could, I could sit here, we could pick topics where like Catholics disagree here with Protestants and Protestants disagree with Protestants here. Mm-hmm. But one of the encouraging things about the Trinity is like once we learn what to say, we can at least acknowledge that like the church has been wrestling with this for a very long time. And because we've been wrestling with it for a very long time, we have a pretty good idea of what we believe. Right. Protestant, the way that we understand the Trinity is is going to be the way Catholics uh, understand yeah. it. Uh, there's uh, you know there's there's variations and some shades and different flavors, but for the most part, the the dogma, what it is that we believe, is is the same. It's the exact same. Mm-hmm. So let me ask the second question because if someone's talking, thinking about the Trinity, mm-hmm. it's pretty obvious. Quickly, you're reading the Bible, the Old Testament, New Testament, and uh, nowhere in there. <laughs> is the word Trinity. So the word's not in Scripture, so why do we believe that God is a Trinity? One God, three persons. Yeah, that was um, that question was the reason why I was non-Trinitarian for a very long time. You know, I got uh, uh, you know, sucked into thinking, well, it has to be, if it's going to be biblical, it has to be said in the Bible. There has to be a, a verse that says, uh, I am one God and, uh, and and three persons. And, well, that's not in there, so Trinity's not biblical. Um, and I, I realized that that's just um, kind of a silly way to read the Bible and how to understand okay. doctrine. And uh, so I'm very passionate about this idea of, of the Trinity, is that even though the word Trinity is not used in the Bible, the Trinity captures and picks out what the Bible teaches, that God is one. There's one God. It goes back to Deuteronomy 6.4. There is only one God. But as we learn in the New Testament, uh, that God is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, He, the, the Son of God. And so we learn in the New Testament that this same God, the Father, sent His Son to die on the cross, to die for our sins. He rose again. Uh, he ascended into heaven. And then uh, shortly after, he sent his spirit at Pentecost. And we learn that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are all equally God. And so we're told um, at the baptismal formula in Matthew I'm so bad, 2819, uh, that we're told to go and baptize uh, and teach all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And what's important there is the word, uh, the, the name, where to baptize mm-hmm. in the name. That is in, in Greek, it's singular. It's not three names, but there is one name. And then it says Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yeah. And so clearly the Bible does teach. There's plenty of other verses. John chapter 1, verse 1. That's a classic one. 
in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word, the word was God, and the Word was with God. Um, that is, I think I flipped that around, but you know, the, you the, the gist. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And um, the Bible is very clear that there are uh, three, and we, we, you know, this comes back to the, the tradition, the word persons. We use the word persons, but there are three that can be said, or we can say three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but there's only one God. Yeah. And so the Trinity is a, a nice, uh, what some scholars have called a conceptual paraphrase. It's an idea that sums up what the Bible says in uh, a one, one word. Okay. Anything to add? Honestly, to? I don't have a lot to add there. I mean, that, that was so well done. I think I just want to echo exactly what he said. Is Yeah, Trinity is not mentioned in Scripture, but Scripture moves us to confess mm-hmm. that God is triune. Yeah. And so uh, I would exactly say, I think Matthew 28 is a, a wonderful example to see the elements of the doctrine are all in one place, the name, singular, of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, uh, plural, you know, one, one God and three persons. But... You know, that's just kind of a, a summary of what everything the Scripture kind of pushes us to confess. And so the things that we only attribute to God, eternality, you know, that He is worthy of worship and, you know, and, and et cetera, all these other things, all those are, sp- are spoken of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, Trinity's not there, the Word is not there, but the concept and the belief, is, is we just can't miss it. Let me ask you another question that is about a word that's not in scripture that we've already used multiple times that for the longest time kind of gotten me kind of held up is the word persons. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I, know, I didn't give you this question, so I hope, uh, you're, I hope a, you're ready. I was so afraid you were going to do this, Dustin. <laughs> well, just <laughs> simplify because I think mm-hmm. for most everyone, mm-hmm. when we hear the word person, we're thinking about like us, mm-hmm. right? An right. Embodied human. And we're like, wait, how can there be one person or one God yet three persons? Because there's three of us. We're not one. So just briefly give us like how should we understand persons? Because it's not the same way that we understand human persons. Right. Sure. It's, right. it's definitely not the same way we understand human persons. And I am going to defer to Josh here. <laughs> because, oh, you're going to take us away. No, no. He is much more equipped to do this. And I'm going to defer to the one who's doing his PhD. Um, all I want to say beforehand is, you know, you, you, this was kind of a, you said this was kind of a problem area for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the history of kind of Trinitarian doctrine, um, what person means has mm-hmm. fluctuated. Yeah. And so I just want to say as a, a kind of as a comfort to you know those listening to all to us here us three is uh, and with Trinity in, in general is it's okay if we don't understand exactly 100% every single little dot uh, of, of the doctrine and yeah. so the, the what an actual person is has fluctuated there's been so many types of discussions what this actually means what this word means why do we use this word um, it, it people for hundreds and thousands, thousands of years have, have have debated about why do we use this and and what's the purpose. And so I just want to set that up for Josh is <laughs> is uh, it, it's a very difficult discussion. Yeah. And so, what's the simple definition of a person of the Trinity? It is a subsistent relation 
that's the simple definition. <laughs> um, yeah, that's uh, that's some some uh, jargon, some theological jargon. Yeah, um, the word. Uh, yeah, it is a subsistent relation. But uh, let me, you know, I'll let some of y'all Google that and, and you know <laughs> and do do your homework. But um, I think it's helpful and slightly dangerous. Uh, but I'm just gonna err uh, on on this and say. The word person, um, one of the first words that was used in Latin, in the Latin-speaking church, was um, this idea of um, persona. Uh, it means a, a mask is what it means. And uh, that could get us into trouble a little bit because it's the idea there's there's one actor and he's got three different masks. Yep. And, uh, you know, that's not what was intended by that language in the early church because they, they clearly think that the father is not just one. He's not just one actor yeah. who's wearing three different, you know, having three different functions, wearing three different masks. But the idea was that there are three actors on the stage, if you will, of salvation history. That when we look at the drama of salvation, if we're in a, in a, in a, on a stage or in a theater watching the God do his thing, play out this, this drama in front of us, uh, we see uh, one God, but there are three distinct uh, subjects <laughs> that can we can say things of them, that the Father sends the Son, and that the Son is sent by the Father, and the Spirit is sent by the Father and the Son. And, uh, and, <laughs> and uh, the, yeah, there, there's, that's where we get into some shades yeah. of variation in the tradition. So what we're talking about is uh, relations. Um, earlier I used the word subsistent relations. I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll let you uh, look that up or Google it, whatever, and do some homework. But the idea of relations is that um, there are um, three distinct relations uh, of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit uh, in God. And they are not uh, interchangeable. Uh, the, the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Father, the Holy Spirit is neither the Father nor the Son, um, and that, that these are called persons in the tradition. And uh, yeah, it's a little mind-boggling, it's mysterious, there's not a precise definition of the word persons in, uh, in church tradition, and that's acknowledged, that's an acknowledged thing. We're using it as a, as a, uh, a word that uh, describes three distinct uh, actors on the stage of God's history, salvation history, and we can say something about one of them that can't be said about the other. And uh, that's the idea of a relation. Okay. That leads us very well into our next question. So just a couple weeks ago, I preached through Ephesians 1. Uh, in Ephesians 1, uh, verses 3 through 14, it's very Trinitarian. The Father adopts, the Son redeems, the Spirit seals. So thinking about that, thinking about what we just talked about with persons, how should we understand how the Trinity operates? It operates inseparably. Okay. <laughs> and what does that mean? Yeah, what does that mean? Um, so, yeah, we, we learned about the, uh, we learned how God the Father, how he uh, adopts us, Son redeems, the Spirit seals, 
And um, yeah, going back to the idea of relations or, or persons, they seem to do different things. And that gives us the, this impression that, well, the father's over here doing this over here, but he's doing something that the son's not doing, and the spirit's doing something entirely, you know, woo, you know, out here. And uh, so that, again, that seems uh, to suggest there are three um, uh, persons in the way that we understand the word persons, yep. you know, very different actors. Uh, that are not united by a single, you know, essence or nature. And um, so this is where theologians come in and say, no, read scripture closely. There's only one God, and therefore there's only one power. There are not three powers. There is one power that we call divinity, that we call God. And so the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, while we can say something distinct of the three, they all do this with one operation, one power. Um, and so this is called the doctrine of inseparable operations, um, that they never do anything that is uh, not with the other persons. Yeah, so one way to, to think about that, in time, we have three, act, you know, three who act in one mm-hmm. action. And so... Uh, I think Ephesians 1 does actually a very good job of showing us this, this, is that it's God who saves. It's not the Father who saves, or the Son who saves, or the Spirit who saves. It's God who saves. And that is one action that God does in time to us. God saves us. Now, within God's inner life, within that one action, there may be different things that we can appropriate. That's an important word maybe to look up as well yeah. or to distinguish. Appropriation. Right, mm-hmm. among the three persons. But that doesn't mean that, you know, the Father, the, the Son and Spirit are not there um, in, in coordination with the Father's operation, the Father's acting uh, there in adoption as well, even though we say the Father adopts. And so in time, the persons never do anything apart from the other two persons. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can be confusing. That's where kind of where we started at the beginning, where humility kind of comes in, and remembering that Trinitarian theology is an exercise in increasing our faith. And so we're seeking to to know God more. And it's difficult to kind of say, okay, well, here we have in Ephesians, it looks like they're distinguishing these three different actions, yep. but it's actually all one action. Well, that really is just kind of how Scripture teaches us to look at it. Just consider even another one, maybe that's not salvation. Just think of creation. Like the Father, Son, and Spirit all create. There is one creative act, but we have three who are doing this one creative act. So Mm -hmm. the framework for helping us understand how God interacts with us is that if one of the persons is doing it, the other two are also doing it. Yes, because God is doing it. Mm-hmm. Right, That's exactly. Right. Because there's one essence. Yeah. So there's one God in three persons. That's right. And uh, we could, I mean, we could say uh, that the Father redeems, right? Mm-hmm. We, we could say that because it's, it's true. The Father redeems. Uh, but he doesn't redeem in the same way that the Son redeems. Right. The Son redeems us in a way that is particular to him. Um, and that, again, that particularity that, that is focusing on one particular person of the Trinity, um, the how God does it in the Son is different, and it can't be said that the Father does it in the same way. 
And so that's where you get that interchangeability going on, or that, that, that the non-interchangeability of the, of the persons mm-hmm. is that um, they, it can be said that the Father redeems, but... But he didn't put on flesh. But he did not put on flesh. And he didn't die on the cross. That's right. He was yeah. not the one who was incarnate. And that's yeah. another reason why the relations topic is actually a good segue into mm-hmm. this. Yes. It's because it's a similar thing when we talk about the three persons and how it's three persons and one God. Is They are all one God, but how they have that essence of divinity is different. Mm-hmm. The Father has it fatherly, the Son has it sonly, <laughs> and the Spirit has it... Spiritly, if you want to say it that way. And that way. makes and a so, lot of sense. You know, like that, exactly. And so, you know, just, but, they, but they're all God. And they're no less, they're no less yeah. God than any, either of the other. And there's no hierarchy. There's no degree of difference. Yeah, right, right. right. And that's yeah. some where the early church creeds, exactly what we're talking about. They kind of frame some of that language as there, so, uh, as well. So, And we're literally making words up as we speak, like spiritly. <laughs> we even talked about this on the way here. We were like, you know... You could use a Latin expression, the Latin <laughs> phrase, but we're like, you know, people's eyes will get crossed, you know, and, and it's just yeah. as true to say it that way. But, you know, like good theologians, we like to make up words, yeah, uh, but, right. but, it's, but it's true, though. It's, it's exactly. a good way of, of saying it. Yeah. So, so and, and again, this is tied to some of this as well. Like, so we talked about how the Trinity operates most of the time when we mm-hmm. talk about the Trinity, we talk about the Trinity in a particular order. That's right. right. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. So is there any reason that we discuss the Trinity typically in that order? Yes. Um, so we discuss the Trinity in that order for at least three reasons. Um, first um, is the, it's the order that we find consistently in the New Testament. It's the, the Father, Son, Holy mm-hmm. Spirit. The second reason is that the persons are named in the order they are sent in the New Testament. It's the Father first, the Son is sent, and then it's the Holy Spirit that's sent. And so, uh, but there's a there's a deeper, uh, a third and deeper reason for this, um, and it's because the sending of the Son and the Spirit reveal eternal relations of origin within God Himself. So, w- what does that mean? It means that in God, um, He is always Father, Son, and Spirit. Always, eternally, um, has always been Father, Son, and Spirit. And that God's life is ordered, and it's not ordered by time, and it's not ordered by space, but what, by what theologians have called relations, fatherhood, sonship, and spiration. The spirit. The spiritly. The spiritly. That's the, yeah, spiration <laughs> is the, the word. Um, and, and the idea is that the Father is not of anything. He is the principle of the divinity. And that means the Father is sent by no one. Uh, the Father sends the Son. So the Son is sent. Um, he is the Son of the Father. And the Spirit uh, the idea of the Spirit is that He is of God. Well, the 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 Father is God, and the Son is equally God. And so, if He is the Spirit of God, the Spirit is the Spirit of God, then He is of both the Father and the Son. And so, those are the relations and and why we speak of them in, yeah. in that way. The three different reasons. So, 
Yeah, and one of the, the pitfalls here is to understand that order doesn't entail authority, mm-hmm. and order doesn't entail time either. And so when we talk about order, we're not talking about a vertical order. We're not talking about rank, that Father is above Son, and that Son is above Holy Spirit. And there also is another pitfall is to be careful of that we don't take our understanding of how human relationships work and apply them to God. So my father is, you know, has authority over me and me as his son, and I listen to my father. Um, that doesn't mean that we can take that and then apply it and say, okay, well, the father, the eternal father has authority over the eternal son. Mm-hmm. Uh, authority is an aspect of power, and power is an attribute of the one divine essence. And we've already said that they all share that equally, perfectly. Mm-hmm. And so this is not a vertical order that it's top-down, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's more of a horizontal order, but it's also not a horizontal order where time is included. You know, God in and of himself exists outside of time. And so it's not that the Father comes before the Son in time, or that, you know, that the, the Father and Son... Precede the Holy Spirit. It's simply this may not be a good analogy. It's kind of something Josh and I were talking earlier. Wait, an analogy? analogy, yeah, a good example, a good example, <laughs> not of the Trinity, but of the way this works at least. Of you think a sentence, um, the first word in the sentence is not necessarily inherently more important than the last word in the sentence. You need both of them to to work. You need both of them for the sentence to make sense. Mm-hmm. But there is an order that the first one just happens to come and and comes before the last one. And for that sentence to make sense, the first word in the sentence must come before the last word in the sentence. Hmm. In a similar way, most often in Scripture, we see that it's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The order is important, but it doesn't entail, again, that there's any difference in authority. They are all equal, and they're all equally God. And so... And part of what's important in this conversation... Can correct me if I'm wrong too. Is like there's a difference between source and like authority. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I know that's yes. a conversation we've had before. Yeah. Where the Father is the source, but that doesn't mean He's greater than. Mm-hmm. And and that's where like some yeah. of this like just breaks down. Or prior in time. Right. Yeah. That type of right. thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because in a lot of these things, when you think about the doctrine of the Trinity, you gotta you gotta take about what you say about God just God and, and apply it so that he exists outside of time. So then just because, you know, the son is the son of the father, he's begotten of the father, begetting in human terms implies time. Yep. Begetting in divine terms does not, you know, uh, imply time. And so <laughs> all of this, sense. yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's where it just kind of comes. It's, it's important not to just take, okay, this is the way that it works for humans. So it must work the same way for God. That's just not the way it works. Yeah. You know, God is the Father and God has a Son, but it's not the way that my Father has had me. Mm-hmm. And, and some of this, to kind of put flesh on all of this, because we might be asking ourselves, oh, okay, like why? Why are we having this discussion? Why? Yeah. And we keep on saying, oh, yeah, well, Scripture says this, but it, it really comes, uh, the rubber really hits the road here when it comes to looking at church history, and this is why I think church history is so important for churches, is when you look at the ways that the church has read Scripture, but not just the church, but also the way heretics read Scripture. When they read Scripture, they came up with the ideas of like, 
um, you know, that the, the, the Son is not eternally and equally divine, that he is a creature. Um, there are, you know, other religions out there to, the, to this day who, who believe this. Um, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, they think that the Son, that Jesus is a creature, yep. uh, or he's some type of semi-divine being. Um, these are all ways of reading Scripture. The church, when they read Scripture, said, uh, that doesn't fit. Read Scripture closely. Read it deeper and read it more closely. We see that um, there are some problems with thinking of Jesus as being um, uh, less than God himself. And even though we have passages in Scripture where Jesus says, the Father is greater than I, or we see Jesus say things like, um, what are some other examples? I just, I just lost it. But <laughs> where he limits there his are, power. Where he limits his power, right. Of, yeah. And so um, there are some some very difficult passages that we have yep. to deal with, but the church has reflected long and hard on this, and, and there's very, um, very good reasons for reading Scripture the way that we have uh, to come down and say, no, like, the reason why the persons are eternally Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is that there is no point in time where the Son became Son. He was always the yep. Son. And just to put a bow on that, too, mm-hmm. is because you may, all right, well, we're reading Scripture, but we also read Scripture of like, well, you know, I my, my Father is greater than me and all this mm-hmm. kind of stuff that Jesus himself says. So how do we, mm-hmm. how do we then make sure that all of that is actually works out well without getting we don't need to get <laughs> this into is that another really. conversation it's another conversation it's a christological conversation it is a trinitarian conversation as well it's a very exegetical conversation all of these things wrapped up into one of and christology being right you know the study of the, study of the son the study of you know him come incarnate as well which hopefully we'll be getting into a little shameless plug for uh some reading scripture with the church we may have some of this these discussions as well is the Son is the only one that is becomes incarnate in flesh. The Son, the son is the only one that is hypostatically united. Mm-hmm. We'll get into all that later on mm-hmm. with flesh. All that means is the Son is the only one that becomes a man. Mm-hmm. And so Scripture speaks about the Son a little bit differently because He's the only one that becomes a man. Mm-hmm. And so we got to talk about that a little bit differently. So. We have to. Just because it's just because it it, it says something in a, in a way. Scripture affirms wholeheartedly that the persons are equal amongst one another. I think that's really what we're trying to get yep. at as well. Mm-hmm. That's that's kind of what began this conversation is that, yes, there is an order. That doesn't mean there's a hierarchy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to point out here, uh, which, I mean, I mean, I'm not surprised, but also encouraged by how many times we keep saying, like, this is what Scripture teaches. This is what Scripture teaches. Mm-hmm. This is what Scripture teaches. So... It's really important, I think, for people to understand that the church has come to these conclusions and we continue to teach these conclusions because this is what we're believing Scripture says. All we're doing is synthesizing mm-hmm. what all these other, what, what these documents that have, are different genres are trying to tell us about who God is, mm-hmm. which is just so important because our authority is not in what theologians have said, not what church tradition has said, but what scripture has said. And we come alongside those theologians and that tradition when it aligns itself and they align themselves with what scripture says. That's right. Which is why the heretics are like, heretics. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Because it doesn't align with what Scripture has said. And that's why we could say they're heretics. Yeah. Right. 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 We're not. And make we're, sure we're, we're not. not <laughs> we're not condemning them. Um, okay. So this is a very, uh, I think, what most people would consider academic conversation, right? We're throwing around big words. We're talking about difficult concepts. But we would all agree that a discussion on the Trinity is incredibly practical uh, for the everyday normal Christian. Why? Yeah, it, it is practical. Uh, in fact, I would go as far as to say it is the foundation of our faith because it is who God is in and of himself. And, um, you know, it, we tend to start Trinitarian discussions in academic terms I, I don't know if that's a, a disservice to the doctrine because I, I do think mm-hmm. it is so practical. Mm-hmm. Um, if we are followers of Jesus Christ, we are Trinitarians, whether we actually know it or not, in the fact that we are baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And so uh, let's, let's just look at it this way. I think, I think when we highlight the practicality of the Trinity more often, then it starts to become woven into the daily aspects of our life. And then you see that it's more important to start practically instead of start academically. So let's think about it this way. Uh, In John 17, Jesus in his high priestly prayer, he is praying to the Father, and he says, eternal life is to know the Father, know God, essentially, is what he's getting at. And so when we think about, you know, that's, that's ultimately what a redemption culminates in is eternal life and knowing God. And so what our desire is and what we need or we're seeking to do and just following mm-hmm. Christ is seeking to know and love God more. Mm-hmm. So it's important then to think of the doctrine of the Trinity is not just something else we say about God. It is what we say who God is. The Trinity is not just something else that like, okay, he's eternal. It's not just another attribute. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that is how He has revealed Himself to us. That is who He is in the most intricate and most basic part of who He is. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And if we want to know Him and know Him more deeply, and thereby love Him more fervently and serve Him more passionately, then it's good for us to know Him as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. Well, then it's a good thing that that's the way he's revealed it. He's revealed himself yeah. in that way. He wants way. us to know himself exactly. that way. He that's wants right. us to know himself that way. Mm-hmm. And so this is kind of where I said, you know, with the analogies is I think there's a better way. It's because Scripture teaches the better way, and it's just the gospel. The gospel, in my opinion, is the best picture of the Trinity that we have. It's not only what God has given to us, but it is the most, uh, in, its, in its best form, it is the most accurate. And so, simply, you know, the Father sends the Son who accomplishes our redemption. The Father and Son then together send the Holy Spirit who applies our redemption. We just saw this in Ephesians 1. The Father adopts, the Son redeems, the Holy Spirit seals. Mm -hmm. You know, in sealing us until we receive full inheritance, then through doing this, the Holy Spirit conforms us into the image of the Son And because then we are co-heirs with Christ, we are adopted into God's family to whom we can cry, Abba, Father. So we see a direction 
from the Father to the Son to the Holy Spirit. And that's kind of who we first kind of come in contact with, if you want to say it that way, through conviction. Sure. Mm-hmm. And then a, a, a direction back to. So the Father sends the Son. The Son accomplishes our redemption. The Father and Son together send the Holy Spirit to apply that redemption. When we confess the, the Lord, as, as, uh, confess Christ as Lord, then the Holy Spirit in sanctification he conforms us to the image of the Son. We are adopted into God's family, who we can cry, Abba, Father. And in this also, we see the order of the Trinity at work. Mm-hmm. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And so, in that way, the, the Trinity is the most practical thing that we have. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Yeah. Fred Sanders is going to get into this a little bit. And one of the, the books we, we may say is a, uh, is a recommendation he goes as far to say as the gospel is the Trinity and the Trinity is the gospel because the gospel that we have isn't the gospel we have without a triune God, the way that mm-hmm. Scripture pushes us to confess. Yeah. And if the gospel is not the gospel that we have, in Paul's words, we have no hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing to add, huh? I, yeah, I feel <laughs> like... Um, I wrote that question for Joe. <laughs> I've heard him say this more than once. So yeah, I wanted him to put it on record. <laughs> We've just talked a lot about the Trinity and all of these things, but maybe people are wanting to go deeper. They're wanting to kind of dig in deeper. What are some resources that you would point people to? Yeah, um, so one of the things that we, we read um, not too long ago when we had a, we had a small little group of of us uh, who are reading together, we read Scott Swain's The Trinity, An Introduction. That is a part of a series of, um, it's it's called uh, Short Studies in Systematic Theology. It's a small And it's book. short. It is so short. It is like, I think it was 90 pages maybe. Um, and a little booklet. It goes through basic Trinitarian grammar, as we've kind of discussed. Yep. But it's very exegetical. It, it reads Scripture. It, it looks at Scripture very closely and explains some of the rationale. Some, some of the ways that we read Scripture today are quite foreign to some of the ways that the church fathers read Scripture. And when they read Scripture, they come up with these doctrines, and we're like, well, how did they get there? And and, and that's kind of a, uh, an indictment against us in some ways, is by reading the church fathers, we learn different ways of reading scripture that whether wrong or right, you know, times I, yep. you know, I've read some things that the, the church fathers say, oh, that's a little goofy. But uh, other times I'm blown away by just the attention to detail. Wow, like I can get the divinity of, of Jesus from this small little passage. That's incredible. And so we learn uh, how to read scripture by reading with the church. And uh, so Scott Swain, I, I really love that book. That's also that's a really great book. Another one is, um, and this is a little more of a, a, a academic, but for someone who really wants to sink their teeth into something a little more meaty, uh, it's called um, the the Trinity: An Introduction to Catholic Doctrine on the Triune God. Uh, it's by a, a theologian named Gilles Emery. G I L L E S. Gilles He's Emery. French, right? He, I, believe, yeah, I'm yeah. pretty sure, yeah. And so um, that is a, a great introduction to um, our tri- Triune God. Yeah. And uh, and so I would definitely recommend that book if you wanted something a little more meaty to, okay. to read. Yeah, and I would echo both of those. Uh, if I if I were to 
offer any advice, if there's one book that is a must mm. pick up, it is The Deep Things of God by Fred Sanders. And uh, Fred is a, is a fantastic Trinitarian theologian. Um, this is going to, this book really focuses on the practicality of the doctrine yeah. of the Trinity. And so um, that's, that's kind of what we climax to. That's kind of our, what's, what's the whole purpose. Uh, he, he does an excellent job there. He also has another book that is not really an introductory work. It's more of an intermediate work. So maybe after you've read a couple of these other books, pick up just his The Triune God. It's very good. And then something that Josh and I were talking about as well is part of the, the pushiness and part of the motivation is hopefully to read Scripture uh, and, and, and understand the doctrine of the Trinity along with the tradition. And mm-hmm. so... Um, one book that uh, that we've read, it's uh, by, uh, it's basically a collection of some sermons by a guy who was all the way back in the the AD three hundreds uh, is by Saint Gregory of Nazianzus. So there's a there's a, a little a series that kind of goes through some of these, but this specific one is called On O N God and Christ: The Five Theological Orations uh, by Saint Gregory of Nazianzus. And so those orations are all basically talk about. Uh, the doctrine of God, and specifically get into the doctrine of the Trinity, and uh, these were some of the the orations that were some of the foundations for mm-hmm. actually saying what we say today and what we what we confess about the doctrine of the Trinity. So we had always, you know, hey, go back and read some of this stuff too, because it's it, a sermon. It's a sermon. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. this is not an academic work, right? It is. It's meant to build up the church. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I'll link all those in the show notes so people can. Can find them. Um, thanks, guys. Appreciate this conversation. Thank you. I know one of the things that we talked about is um, reading scripture with the church, and so something that we've been kind of piloting uh, is basically kind of like a reading group where we're working through primary texts. So we talked about John Calvin. Uh, we read John of Damascus mm-hmm. as well. Um, so we're going to be doing that again in the fall. I think we said September and October. Is that right? Mm -hmm. So September, October, uh, we're going to be reading. uh, Basically, we meet uh, twice a month um, on Sunday nights, and we'll read through some sources. This next um, go is going to be through um, some stuff on Christology and looking at uh, person work, the person and work of Jesus. And so, uh, if you're interested in that, uh, let us know, and we will give you more information. And uh, hopefully, you can join us. Um, for that as well. But I hope, I, I, I think this conversation has been really helpful, and I hope it's helpful um, if you're listening as well. Also want to encourage you to check out our, our new series, Saints. You go to nola.vcmvmt.com slash saints. You'll find all of our sermon resources, and uh, we're going to include these uh, podcast episodes as well that are tied to this series. So if you're enjoying this content, you find it helpful, Please subscribe to stay up to date. You can leave a review and share it with your friends. My desire is that what we share with you here will equip and inspire you to live the gospel, serve the city, and be the church after Sunday. Thanks for listening to After Sunday. If you like what you heard, subscribe to our show, leave us a review, and share it with others. If you would like to learn more about the ministry of Vintage Church, check out VintageChurchMovement.com.